Okay. Are you ready? I like every time you start recording it, ask me like, do you want to leave the meeting? Like, um, excuse me, this creepy creeper is recording you now. Yeah. Do you want to run away? Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's not the worst thing he's recorded. <laughs> I just like to watch you blush. Right? I don't know what that means. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, I think like my implication was like a sex tape thing, but like I'm too bashful. Yeah, I know you're red right now. I'm too bashful and I'm a director. I'd be too busy critiquing my performance. Well, you're right. Like, you would not be able to enjoy a sex tape because you would not be able to stop staring at yourself. And not in <laughs> like, a good way. Yeah, that makes me sound like Gaston. Like, I, like yeah. I'm sitting there just like, my God, look at my ass. Oh, my gosh. If That's Gaston, a grand ass. If Gaston lived in the current digital age, could you imagine the sheer number of dick pics? Oh. Yeah. That, just put, that puts too many images in my head. No one snaps like Gaston. <laughs> well, I'm seriously wondering if we should just leave this as the intro to the, to the, <laughs> the video and just, like, just start the video here and just, we're like, what are they talking about? <laughs> I, tuned, I tuned in to hear this review of this charming little movie and yet uh, they're talking about Gaston snapping dick pics. I mean, he would. Buy our shirt. No, he <laughs> He's got more dick pics than Gaston. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, on that randy note, <laughs> I am. I'm leaving all that in. I'm just going to leave every <laughs> word of that in. I'm, I'm not editing any of that out. We're just going to. Oh. We are raw here on date night. Date night after dark, That's which right. I mean, I guess if you're, it's, it's really kind of when date nights happen, isn't it? I mean, I mean, for the most part. I mean, yeah, you don't really... like if you work a normal schedule, then I would guess you. Yeah, you don't really do like a nights. date afternoon until later. Later, when you go and do like mini golf or something. Oh, like it's like mini golf, like seventh date material. I am. I have no clue. So yeah. anyway, hello everybody. Uh, thank <laughs> you for you, we we do have a point. We are going to get to it. We're just, um, don't ask how we got off on the tangent. We were just on. We did. We were there. We're off it now, and, and we're back, and we're here to entertain you. Uh, so welcome back to another Date Night podcast where we re-watch, review, and recap various things. I need to work on that intro. got to work on the yeah, intro. Yeah, it, it's outro. got a little bit long, but that's okay. But a that's lot okay. of podcasts are. A lot of podcasts, you know. Oh, have like a super long intro. Yeah, I've noticed. Have you, have you ever heard like Talk is Jericho? Welcome back to the podcast of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And you know, I mean, yeah. Anyway. Anywho, yeah. Uh, uh, so, so here at uh, Date Night, we have been uh, exchanging romantic comedies. And uh, the last time we watched uh, Always Be My Maybe, was I can never remember the title. Of the one yes, one. Always Be My Maybe. Always be my Maybe. And so now it was my turn, and I selected. This charming little film from 2004 by the name of Wimbledon. I told this story when I reviewed it for uh, Forgotten Gems that I, I first came across this movie one summer when I was back in Alaska. And I caught like 20 minutes of it on HBO. I had never heard of it. 
And then, <laughs> like, I could never, and of course, HBO, you know, this is not streaming. This is the direct, you know, the on TV one. They'll show a movie, and normally they'll show it 500 times, and you can always catch right. it. And they never showed it again. And I was like, well, I want to see what this was. I know. Do you remember? Okay, so we're going to take a little rabbit trail here. Okay. A bunny trail, if you will. Oh, and, um, there was this movie that I have never seen, like a DVD, VHS, in real life version, never saw a trailer for it or anything like that. But they played it on HBO. I have seen it so many times, or at least part of it, because they played it on HBO so much. And it was about this kid who moved from California to Cincinnati, and he was a rollerblader. And they had this rollerblade race yes! down the devil's backbone. Yes! Airborne? Yes, and the kid was, like, obsessed with Gandhi or shit like that. And yes, because he was so, like, I'm such a hippie, I'm such a hippie. And Seth Green was in it, yes. yes. So, and so. um, I want to say the, the, the girl who was in, like, everything, she was in, like, Sister Act, um, Renaissance Man, um, oh, my gosh. Legally Blonde. I can't remember her name off the top of my head now. Alana something. Anyways. Anyways. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> You're talking about showing the movie eight, like 800 times. Yes. Airborne was like, oh, it was like if you turned on HBO at a certain period of time in the 90s, you were going to catch some part of Airborne. Past several years, when I've gone back to Alaska for the summer, uh, like it's been the that Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, oh, Queen. every time I, I was thinking like time. English Queen. No, like, like every time you turn on HBO, it's it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Every oh. bloody <laughs> time watching what's his name, like forces Rami Malik, forces front teeth Freddie Mercury. Uh huh. But uh, be that as it may, or not Wimbledon. That, yes, Wimbledon. <laughs> Wimbledon is an actual movie that does, in fact, exist. Uh, released to theaters September 17th, 2004. Now, we did this. Um, I used to really get a kick out of doing this when we were doing the Buffy review. So I'm, gonna, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. So okay. September 17th, 2004, when this movie was released. Um, any guesses, baby, as to what the top grossing movie at that time was? Let's see, September, September of 2004? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I was just starting school at UAA, so I have no idea. I had no money to go to the movies. That's, a, that's okay, because you probably, I mean, very few people. Um, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse. Oh, my gosh. Which is, I did watch that, but not in the theater. Did you? Yeah, like, I probably have seen all the Resident Evil movies. My, my best friend Matt loves them. See, that Matt and I have horror movies in common. Like, we mm -hmm. both enjoy horror movies. So Yeah. Um, and I actually, I liked the Resident Evil, like, Neely Jovovich has the, you know, the kind of kick-ass, uh, um, you know, hardcore yeah. chick. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did see that eventually, but not then. Okay, well, maybe you can help me out with this next one because I was I I have no memory of this. The number one song at that time, September seventeenth, two thousand four, according to the Billboard charts. Any guesses? 
No. Um, I, I again, I, I'm hoping you can help me with this because I, you are more of a music person than I am. Uh, Goodies by Sierra. Oh, Sierra, that's like R and B. Yeah. Do you have, you have any? You would probably like the song. It was that era of time when any R and B or rap song equated sex and some kind of food. You know, milkshakes, candy shops, which you were just singing the other day, sir. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you'd probably like, you probably heard it in the background while you were at FYE or something. Um, I doubt it. I don't, I, we know we very rarely played that stuff on the overhead. Really? Yeah. Just the Jessica Simpson. Christmas well, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, I can't speak for Sierra. Um, personally, because I, I, again, I do not remember her at all, but a lot of those CDs had the explicit lyrics and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't play the stuff with explicit lyrics over the overhead. Which is why you ended up playing the holiday music. So what did you play at FYE? Whatever was popular at the time that didn't have an explicit sticker on it. Did corporate give you like a specific one that you were supposed to? No, they, they gave us like a specific series of ones we could play, yeah. Okay. Like they didn't like, okay. So when I worked at movie gallery, which is this, um, a movie store, youngins is a place where you went to a building and checked out movies like a library. Um, our next question is what's a library? Huh. Uh, <laughs> I was looking up the Sierra song. Because I was trying to think of it in my head. Um, and basically the lyrics just say, my goodies, my goodies, my goodies, over and over again. You like my goodies? My goodies Clever. are good. So, okay. So that, that's some history for you of, mm -hmm. what's go, of what was going on in the world of popular culture at the time this movie was released. But let's, uh, let's talk about, now let's finally talk about the movies. So... Um, this movie has a, a a fascinating cast. Yeah, like like it's loaded. It's a loaded cast, and at the really time, is. I'm sure they didn't think so because these were a lot of, you know, a veritable who's that of of young Hollywood, and now like know, we know most of these people. This was well after Swingers, so John Favreau would have been already in the lexicon. Um, Paul Bettany. I knew who he was because I was a big Knight's Tale fan. Like, I went to see Knight's Tale in the theater quite a few times. But Kirsten Dunst, by that time, was already, like, you know, a Hollywood veteran. Well, and, and also by that point, I mean, I said that, you know, the number one movie at the time, September, was Resident Evil Apocalypse. But the number one movie of the year was Spider-Man 2. Right. Which so, like, know, she, at the time, Dunst. she was kind of the biggest name yeah, in like, this film, this was this is more. I think this is more a vehicle for her than it was, you know, for Paul Bettany. I think that thinking about Kirsten Dunst, like I would say she was probably one of the most influential actresses or young actresses, um, in my generation. So like, she was she's a year older than I am, you know. And of course, she started acting when she was young and like Interview with a Vampire. 
you know, she was only like, what did we say? 12 when that she, came out? She said she was 10 when it was filming, 12 when it came out. Right. And so, and then she was in movies like Bring It On and Drop Dead Gorgeous and the Virgin uh, Suicides. Virgin Suicides. Yes. Yeah. So like she was, she was everywhere, you know, and although looking at her now, of course, she's, you know, blonde white girl, but at the time she was, she didn't look like the other people who were in, in the movies at the time. Um, you know, her hair is not her. There's always something just a little bit off about her hair. You know, we talked about this when we were watching the movie, <laughs> like her hair just never looks like it's fully done correctly. So it's always a little bit off and she's her, her smile is a little bit crooked. So she just, she really had this like not perfect kind of thing that, you know, girls my age in the nineties kind of latched onto because we were so used to, you know, everyone looking like a, what's her name? Noxima girl. Um, Oh my gosh, what is her name? <laughs> Rebecca Gay, no, Rebecca something. Not me, not me, Rebecca. I but yeah. And then Rebecca like, no name. Yes. Um, and then you know, the girl who was uh the the physicist in the James Bond movie. What is her Denise name? Denise Richards. Yeah, Denise Richards. So, like, you're used to girls looking like, like, girls in movies looking like Denise Richards. And then Kirsten Dunst is a little bit gawky, a little bit crooked smile, a little bit off-center. And it's, uh, you know, people kind of that's, responded to that. That's funny, because I never thought any of that about her. I thought she was always a very attractive young woman. I never thought, I, I never <laughs> noticed the crooked smile. Or, and I was like, oh, she's cute. Yeah, you didn't have to. You weren't living up to 90s female standards. Like, no, I was living up to 90s male standards. Yeah. You know. Which I, I'm not going to belittle the male standards. And like, you know, I know that like there is a standard for how like people expect Ben to look. I know. But I mean, like the standards for girls in the 90s was ridiculous. Heroin chic, like the skinny like size zero like thighs don't touch kind see of. i think i think the first clue there and I, I, again this is just my take on the 90s from being there is that the fact that it was called heroin chic should have been a tip off to everybody this was not something you should aspire to well i know but like, you're I mean, just you like hey that's a, that's an attractive name you started off the the decade with grunge as being the the style, and then, you know, I mean, it was kind of like the '80s was supposed to be so primped and perfect, and everything was hairspray to an inch of its life and stylized, and then the '90s was almost like in order to be attractive, you also had to embrace some kind of ugliness. You know, like baby doll dresses and combat boots aren't actually flattering on anyone, but it was such a, a style. It was such a look. I, I still wear baby doll dresses and combat boots, you know, because like that's just what cool girls wear, you know, like <laughs> think about like the giant 
like six times too big for you t-shirts and jean shorts and you know like like it was almost like the 90s mission was to prove that ugly was good mm -hmm. i have nothing to respond to that with <laughs> sorry I, th I think you're i think you're giving the 90s way too much credit for thinking anything out <laughs> and as i recall we just did things we're like, hey, here's a thing we can do. Okay, oh, we did that. There was our, such what's a another well, thing we can do. There's some, you know, like if you're looking at it from a sociological perspective, a lot of the 90s was a generation of people who wanted to have something to protest and fight back like it was the 70s but they didn't have a vietnam war at the time and so it was just like attacking like so society was what their their war was against and so i mean yeah that's that's yeah i mean that's 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 the 90s in a nutshell is just mm -hmm. i mean you look at things like reality bites or rent right and, and those things are all i'm I'm white and I'm rich and I'm mad. <laughs> well, speaking of rich, I'll, though, like I won't be a part of this system. <laughs> but when Here's you the go machine into... and I'm going to rage against it. <laughs> but and, those... Or in the in the in the timeless words of Kurt Cobain, words to live You by. know. You know. Kurt Cobain was a very good musician. So he was, he had some very poetic things that he presented. And there's nothing wrong with grunge music. Mm hmm. Because I know you were just listening to the country music in the 90s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was either country music or Weird Al. Let's be I honest. You here. say that like, Mm -hmm. I'm, again, I'm going I'm to quote American Dad. Don't hurl factual statements at me as if they're insults. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so? Your point? Oh, my gosh. So anyway, oh. back to the cast of this movie that we're... Well, what I was going to say, what the point I was trying to make, while well, you were so succinctly um, mocking the music that I loved in the 90s, um, was that when you turn the corner to the 2000s, there was a switch um, and like the millennial generation, um, which, you know, I am. So, yeah, but they were kind of more looking for that luxury, looking for um, kind of embracing more things that would be what would be considered the, the, the better side of life, I guess, or things that like more... Um, I don't know. I just like in my head, once you've got, you've crossed over into like the 2000s, things become much more lip glossy and shiny. Okay. Butterfly clips and glitter, you know? I mean, yeah. That, yeah. I, yeah. I can see that. And tennis would have been part of that. So while movie like Wimbledon, which is a love story based around tennis, you know, probably wouldn't have had any place in the 90s but could find an audience uh, at least a small audience Supposedly. in the 2000s okay so you before know? we get on because again most most people i'd be surprised if most people have heard of this movie let's talk a little bit about 
what this movie is about. So succinctly, uh, Vision the Android is a <laughs> aging tennis pro whose better days are behind him. He's about to take a job at a country club wherein he will uh, teach old ladies. But before he, do, he does that, he's a wild card at Wimbledon. And he says, the next match I lose is going to be my, my, uh, my last one. So he goes to Wimbledon. While there, he meets Mary Jane Watson, who is the bad girl of tennis. <laughs> uh, they strike up a relationship, despite the fact that her dad, Dr. Alan Grant, uh, completely <laughs> disapproves of this. I should also mention that Vision the Android has a very unsupportive family, not the least of which is younger brother, young Charles Xavier, who constantly <laughs> bets against him. Um, so anyway, uh, Vision the Android is there with his best friend, Jamie Lannister, and <laughs> they're, uh, they're old buddies, and but... Low gay Jamie Lannister, gay German Jamie Lannister. Yeah, that's, I want to come back to that because I was very curious about that. Let's, I want to I talk about that, but I'm on a roll here. One second. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't let me interrupt your flow. Uh, but so anyway, uh, Vision the Android says that you know the next match I lose that uh, will be my last. But he he, he keeps winning, either right. through happenstance or the belief that uh, his new budding relationship with. Mary Jane Watson is somehow responsible for his new lease on life, but he keeps winning and he keeps winning. So much so that his former manager, Happy Hogan, comes back and wants to represent him once again. And, uh, and of course, romance blooms, complications arise. Uh, we, we learn to believe in ourselves and believe in love, and um, they don't get together in the end, everyone dies. No, that's not See, you say Happy Hogan. I would have said the Doctor from Elf. I say I say Happy Hogan because that's what I know yeah. him as. That's when I that's when I first met John Favreau. Was really, as Happy Hogan? That was your first experience my, with John that Favreau. First, that was my first. Experience he was with John like already. I mean, he was already like well known by then, sir. I mean, not to me. Of course, you're not necessarily a Vince Vaughn swingers kind of guy. So no, definitely yeah. not. Yeah. Or old school. You're not watching old school. No, no, definitely not. So yeah, you, he would not have been in your in your purview. Nope. But um, so I'm, are you done with your rants? I'm done. I'm done. Of your your favorite thing to do, which is talk about characters and movies from their. <laughs> the one thing I will say before I let uh, is I want to just point this out. A uh, little fun little seven, six degrees of separation kind of thing. Going on. So as we mentioned, the, the number one movie of this year was Spider-Man 2, the movie um, kind of that is credited with that one and its its predecessor, credited with kind of beginning the superhero movie renaissance that we are still in the midst of today. And this movie stars just a ton of people who either were in comic book movies or would go on to be in comic book movies, or the guy who would direct the first movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, it, it's kind of, it's just an interesting... Uh, That's true. Has Sam Neill done anything in the MCU? I don't think so. That oh, I think actually, I think he played one of the actors in Thor uh, Ragnarok. I think he played the actor playing Odin. Oh. So, so yes, yes, he has. Not a featured role, but he, ha he has had a role. This is almost like... Harry Potter levels of connection yeah. here. The Brits have Harry Potter. We've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
I know. And I kind of love it because I love making connections to things. I used to love playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. I wonder if you can still do the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Probably. Probably. Anyways, so yes. Um, Paul Bettany is the lead in this. Um, and we were actually talking about Paul Bettany, how like basically before he got the role of Vision, he was, you know, his agent had pretty much told him that he should quit because he's not leaving man material, right? Yeah, that was the, that was the story I read. Or I, I rather, I heard him in an interview, I forget where. And yeah, he basically said that literally the day he got the call to play Vision, like he was up in his agent's office and the agent basically told him to quit acting or to quit trying to be in movies, go do plays or go do something else because you're not, you're too old. You're not a leading man. You know, you know, you're Which, maybe you'll like, I just, I, I, I don't agree with that. Like maybe he's not bulky or built or he, you know, he's not Chris Hemsworth, but I think he's just, he's a very charming leading man. I think, you know, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, you know, seeing this movie, I truly wonder why, why no one else picked up on him. He has, he's got just a lot of charm and it's not, it's not like aggressive charm. It's not like, you know, Hugh Grant, uh, charmingly befuddled charm where he's like really overplaying it. It's, yeah. Hugh Grant's charm always has like a, just a, a hinge of creepiness. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but, Paul Bentley has a very every man appeal to him. Like he feels he feels like someone you know. Right. Like, yeah. And if you don't know him actively, you would have no problem like having dinner with him. Yeah. Yeah. He you know? yeah, and, yeah and He seems like the nice guy that your aunt would set you up with on a blind date. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Like, uh, and I'm, like I say, I'm very surprised. And I think that's because, and you, you mentioned it, and I, I know that we, this is something we kind of disagree on. Um, but you kind of mentioned how in the, the early 2000s, we were making that shift from kind of the grunge era to the lip gloss um, era. But kind of what went along with that, and it, this, this is something that started in the late 90s, is that leading men were not nice guys. Yeah, they were very much anti-heroes. Yeah, or just... Uh, that's a nice way of saying a lot of times they were dicks. A little bit, yep. Like your character, your your main male character in a lot of things were were dicks. Which I think has been a big reason why romantic comedies had just not been as successful as they were in the nineties. I, I agree. Like you look at uh, the only one I can think of uh, was that uh, Twenty Seven Dresses. Back right. when they were back when they were trying to convince us that Katherine Heigl was a thing. Oh, I hate Katherine Heigl. Yeah, and in that movie, like, James uh, Cyclops there, I, I, can never, I can never pronounce his last name. I always get it mixed up with James Marsden from, from Buffy. Marsden. Marsden. He's James Marsden. The other one's James Marsers. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, he was he was a dick. Yeah. He was a shitty person. And you're like, so you're supposed, this is the guy that our, our main character is going to fall in love with? Why? Yeah, theoretically. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas uh, Paul Bentley has just, he's got too much of the nice guy. And, like, and the, the, the movies then didn't didn't want that. Movies now don't really want that. I think that the, no, I I would disagree with you on that. I think that we're making a shift back towards that. You know, I think that we really are coming back around to a true romantic comedy type of thing. And I think honestly, it's because those of us who were who grew up 
on those romantic comedies, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks and, you know, um, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. <laughs> um, the, the pure romantic comedies, Sandra Bullock movies, um, that, that's the generation that's making the romantic comedies now. And so we're starting to see more of the actual, like, old school romantic comedies. They're kind of coming back around, um, which I love. Like, I mean, Always Be My Baby really had that kind of feel to it, you know? Um, and, yeah, I would agree. Paul Bettany is much more of a Tom Hanks, British Tom Hanks guy than a, you know, than a douchey McDoucherson. Yeah. So. And, and I think a British Tom Hanks is a very good analogy because he does have a very, he does have, he doesn't quite have Tom Hanks's charisma. No. But no. He has he has that that very genuine everyman energy to him. I feel like if Paul Bettany and I were sitting there having a conversation, he would actually pay attention to what I was saying and remember and ask me questions about my hobbies later. Yes, I, I agree with that. So, um, Kirsten Dunst's character is a lot different. I think Kirsten Dunst does really well as a leading lady. Um, this one is a little bit of a departure from her usual character, though, because, like, a lot of times she got, it, like, she would be cast in that, that cheerful, I'm a cheerful cheerleader, or, like, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which I love. I love the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous. But she's very, very cheerful. Very much, like, she's gonna, you know, the world's a sunny place. And we're gonna do, you know, amazing things. And I'm gonna be Diane Sawyer when I grow up. Um, but this one, she has a, she's much more acerbic. She's much more, you know, um, yeah. like, first of all, they talk about her like kind of sleeping around and <laughs> liking to uh, distract herself with with boys, um, and then they talk about her like like you said like the bad girl of tennis arguing with the the uh, I don't line know what, judge. What they line judge not refs yeah arguing with the line judge and like you know kind of being a being very very assertive um, so. Um, I think it's a kind of a different character than what she would normally play at this point. No, I, I agree. I think it's it's a it's much it's a very big departure from kind of the um, the America's sweetheart girl next door thing that she had kind of built her her reputation on. And I, right. But what I like about the character and her portrayal of it is that again in the early two thousands they were still kind of had suffering from 90s hangover, and this is something that started in the 90s, is that normally if you had a character like this, they would have pushed her, like, too far over the edge. Like, she would have been a real bitch. Or, right. you know, I, I, I don't want to use, I don't want to use the, the outdated term slut, but they would have made, they would have made the fact that she sleeps around a lot. Into much a more, negative thing. Yeah, much more of a negative. Right. Whereas like her dad doesn't like it, but even, even so he doesn't really like call her out on it or, you know, you I know, think the only reason he doesn't like it is because it distracts her from tennis. Exactly. He doesn't have really any problem with her having a lot of boyfriends. He really, that doesn't right. even seem to phase him. It's more just, he doesn't want the distraction. Right. You know, you know? like, yeah, he, he definitely is, um, 
more concerned about her career. You yeah, know? and she so she's assertive, but she's not evil. And the only one who really says anything about it is the douchey like guy who's yeah of course to... the, the the bad tennis player that we know the final boss you know that character that comes in and you like in any sports movie like you know this is the guy we're gonna have to have the final showdown with you know that's who this is the final boss the final boss you know that's that's what we're looking at oh wait hold on hold on what the hell is that what is happening my podcast just started up again for some reason. Like I was listening to the Mortified podcast and then, yeah, it just started up again. I was uh, actually looking up, trying to figure out who wrote this. And there's three writers listed and one of them is a woman. Uh, a woman. And I was, uh, huh? A woman. And I was wondering about that because like, I sent you something the other day that I had seen on some, one of the social medias about like one of the reasons I disliked so many female characters were, was because they were written by men who didn't like women. And so I wondered if there was a lot, if there was maybe female input into the writing of the character for that, uh, for this role. So, because yeah, she just, she seems like an average person. She seems like anyone, like any of my friends who like, yes, she dates around. Yes, she is career driven, but she's also like, you know, want, like she likes to be around her friends and she likes to, you know, she has other interests besides just tennis, you know? So and, she's fairly well-rounded. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a role that's well-cast because Kirsten Dunn's natural likability and that the good girl kind of persona that she had keeps the character grounded and doesn't let her kind of go off, you know, you know, picture... I think she could have played it, but picture, you know, Eliza Dushku playing this role. Yeah, Eliza Dushku would, just, like... She always just seems. She, she goes very hard. Yeah. No, not not nothing against Eliza Dushku. I actually think she's no. a very underrated actor. But yes, but she that, does. She's very intense. Whereas yeah. this character There's, was a lot more laid back. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst is a lot softer. So, so I think casting Kirsten Dunst in the role softens the character and, like I say, makes her more believable. She's she's not just assertive or anything like that it's 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 a it's a nice balance and she is i mean she's already a likable person you know she's yeah. like she's already a likable actor and so you go into it knowing that you want to like the character and the two of them have really good chemistry they do they like have they some work... really good banter and and like timing i think and they, yeah and they work really well off each other this is one. this is one of those couples where if you told me they they were in love off screen i would have believed you right because they, they just they felt very natural together i think that i think that it was one of those rare times too that, you know, probably this is more along the writing, but I think the chemistry has to do with it too. As they are falling for each other, you believe that it's happening. It's yeah. not like one of those movies where it's all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I love you. And you're like, oh, that's out of left field. Well, I also like the way it kind of, the, the relationship kind of played out because when it started, 
it was they they both kind of said it's just sex right you know she just wanted the distraction he was like hell you know why not i'm i know i'm about to retire i might as well i'm, I'm old this this hot younger girl wants me yeah okay let's do it and then and to be fair like let's clarify old was like like 32 yeah as opposed to her like 22 you know yeah. which is still a gap you know probably a gap i would not be comfortable with if it was my kids but it's not like flipping you know 60 versus and and 18 you know yeah so yeah so yeah um uh what is I, i'm curious as to your question about the uh the friends the oh, jamie partner. lannister yes okay i i, I, I was gonna ask the question because i knew where you were gonna come down but i was just like i was like is he gay he mentioned something about a boyfriend or like trolling for boys or something No, he mentions what he says the one line is uh someone asked that i forget who it was they asked you know to describe him he's like oh he likes he likes sausages and this and men in and men in little leather right. shorts but i think i i believe that's just a joke about him being German. Because earlier in the film, they're talking about going out and finding women. Are you sure? I don't know. That's the thing. I'm not sure. Because I don't know. It's like one of those characters, like, I don't know how to read this guy. Yeah. like Because they never make any other mention of him. Um, or any really thing about his personal life. But the way you could... You could see him if they said the character was gay. You could uh, you could believe it. Well, and I mean, isn't that kind of the dream though? To like have a gay character who you don't have to explicitly say is gay or doesn't have to be constantly showcasing their sexuality. I mean, yes, but I. That's why I'm just saying it's it's just, it's just a bunch of is is he because I I honestly don't know I I honestly just, I there are lines in there that support both 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 lines of thinking. Hmm. I honestly I do not know. Um. Yes, and my cursory glance at Wikipedia here isn't really giving me anything here except for that there is quite a list of actual tennis professionals who are um who were like basically anyone that the actors sparred against were was an actual tennis professional except maybe yeah not the um the the main douchey dude not the final boss yeah austin nichols no yeah like who is i mean just like like, he looks like he's definitely going to date rape somebody. He looks like the kind of guy who just looks like a douche. He looks like the kind of guy who we would not like if one of my daughters brought Yeah, like... As a, like <laughs> as he's a date. probably a lovely person. He's probably a nice guy. I'm just saying, got, at least in this movie, and I, I can't think of anything else he's been in, but it's like... No, I think he's done a lot of horror movies besides this, so you went or like, 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 like that, that curly dead and hair and everything. Every the look yeah. of him is just like a man you just want to punch in the face. Yes, he like looks every, like a guy who's gonna, you know, get daddy's lawyer on it. Yeah. So, but I want I want to backtrack just a second because I know this is something you probably don't have as big a problem with as as I do. Um, uh, 
best friend there, uh, he suffers from what I call the James Vanderbeek uh, problem. Which is? Which is uh, the first time I saw James Vanderbeek was in a movie, one of my favorite movies called Angus. Right. Where he plays the bully and he is just a completely reprehensible character. How are you dealing with that course, now that you're re-watching Dawson's well, Creek? That's, that's what I was going to say. Is like when Dawson's Creek started. <laughs> and I remember watching it going, I hate this guy because I, he was so good at playing the douchey villain. And now he's supposed to be this sensitive movie maker that everyone's like, oh, you're such a nice guy. I'm like, no, he's not. He, no, he, he did mean things to Angus. To be fair. And to be fair, Dawson is problematic himself. Well, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. We can, we can have that discussion later. That is a, that is a discussion to have. Um, but uh, but anyway, because this this uh, this this relates to our film here, because maybe gay, maybe not gay, best friend, of course, is played by Nicholas Jamie Lannister. Austin, you, Nikolai. Oh gosh, now I'm lost. Nikolai when you mispronounce Hujim. it, you make me lose it. Hujim, punjim, punjim, you know, Jamie Lannister, that's where I'm going with. Um, who, as anybody who's watched Game of Thrones for, you know, the, the seven years it was on, it was a complete and total douche. And yes, he redeemed himself kind of, but he was always kind of a douche. And here he's playing a really nice guy. Yeah. And you're like, like oh, a super he's nice guy. He's Very lovely. nice. Name. He's a lovely person in this, but he, he just has Jamie Lannister's face, and you're just like, I, I, I'm waiting for you to betray somebody. Yeah, no, that <laughs> one doesn't, because like you know, I've only watched like one episode of Game of Thrones, so yeah, that one doesn't really get me, um, like it does you. But I've had that issue before, you know, like if you, I honestly, um, Nicolaj Costerwaldo. Um, sorry. With a bad Scrabble hand. <laughs> um, I mean, sorry, trying to see uh, James Vanderbeek as anything but Dawson is kind of hard for me, you know. So, like, yeah, I get that, but um, but anyways, now I didn't didn't that one doesn't really stand out to me, but. Like I said, you're the Game of Thrones fan in yep. this relationship, so yeah, very much, very much so. And then, of course, Sam Neill with the worst American accent ever. Yeah, like, I love Sam Neill. I love Sam Neill. I think he's I do a too. And actor. He's done good. The problem, the problem with Sam Neill. Here's the thing. Here's the problem with Sam Neill. Um, he's a great actor, right? But he can only really do a, a quote-unquote American accent when he's sounding sinister. Right. Like I think, got, I think he has to lower his register in order for in order to hold the American the American accent. I can and, understand that. And so when he does that, he's either playing a villain or even Alan Grant. I, you know, Jurassic Park's one of my favorite movies. But there are times in that movie when Alan Grant just sounds like he's gonna murder a bitch. Right. And I don't really think of it like his American accent in that one is much more of the old school Catherine Hepburn Bostonite kind of proper American accent. Doing a neutral, like just plain, without any kind of Southern or Minnesotan or you know Jersey, like just a just the 
flat average American accent is very difficult. You know? Yeah. You want to put a little spin on it. You want to get real Southern uh, or you want to be real Minnesota nice or, you know, but. (laughs) I don't don't think I ever want to hear Sam Nill try to do Minnesota nice. I don't think I I I ever want to hear that. Like. I would probably pay a lot of money for that. That would actually. hurt. That would burn my earballs. Yeah. So we take Jurassic Park and we reset it. Just north of Minneapolis, don't you know? Uh-huh. Oh, let, look at that T-Rex. Don't let, don't let the people Somebody. at Universal hear that. They'll, they'll greenlit Jurassic World 5. Oh, everybody grab your hot dishes and head to the kitchen. Oh, we gotta hide. Gotta hide. These are some big old fellas coming out here. <laughs> you're, you're, you're really enjoying that bit. Oh my gosh, Jurassic Park. Right, oh. write, it, write it down, send it to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, oh, like, yeah, the nichest idea. <laughs> Jurassic there's no Jurassic Park movie coming out there's not like nothing even remotely like <laughs> yeah there is is there another one? Oh, for yeah. the love of god somebody please put Chris Pratt to into the retirement pen yep yeah there's another one and, and Sam Neill is in it oh Sam and Laura Dern with Chris Pratt mm-hmm. and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum <gasps> Jeff Goldblum's going to be in it? He is. What do you think the chances are that Jeff Goldblum shoots Chris Pratt? Uh, Probably not great. I mean... (laughs) Yes. Well, look on your face right now. (laughs) Uh, You know, Jeff Goldblum and Dr. Ian Malcolm, like, that's my... I I'm, want. I, I am a well aware. <laughs> I am well aware of your shower curtain desires. Like, I um, I just think it's so funny that we both have these like ultimate crushes that were centered in the Jurassic Park universe. Yeah, that is yeah. kind. Of, that is kind of interesting. Yeah, of course, mine was a highly inappropriate, much older than me man. Um, that definitely spurred my interest in olive-skinned, curly-headed fellas. Lucky for you. And uh, yours was much more age-appropriate. For the time. At the time. Now At the time. Not, not so much now. <laughs> not so much anymore. But at, at the time, it was. At the time, I was like, okay. You know, but yeah, now, now you tell people that and they look at you funny. Yeah, I would, I would definitely hope that that is not, your crush has not lasted as mine has. <laughs> whole other podcast <laughs> anyways um, um yes yeah, terrible accident um i have to say the conversations were interesting the characters were interesting the plot is not you know winning any awards for cutting edge you know like i mean I pretty much called it like a third of the way into the movie. It's a sports movie. What'd you expect? Yeah, like like what? Like it, it's it's a feel good sports movie. You think he's gonna lose the first round? 
No, but like and he's you know, out. And like, that's the movie, folks. No, the the you know even like how the relationship was going to go and everything, like it was pretty predictable. But it was still comedy. interesting to watch. I'm not. I'm not judging it. Just stop. Like trying to get on my case. Jeez, I'm not, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying it's not. It's it was predict like it was a predictable romantic comedy, but it was interesting enough, and you like um, invested in the characters enough that it was still exciting. You were still rooting for them. You're still on the edge of your seat and like holding your breath as like the last match comes up. You know, the, the only thing I don't like about this movie is the last match. Really? You it wanted feel, him to lose? No, it feels like it went on forever. Oh, it did. Like, it's, I it's, think no, that's I, tennis, though. I wanted him to win, of course, you know, because it's a sports movie. And it's like, uh, even though I love Rocky, you're like, it, when, the, when the main character loses at the end, unless it's Rocky and you set that up, you're like, oh, what, oh, uh, yeah, uh, you know. Um, no, it's just, it's just, it, and maybe if I was more of a tennis guy and knew what the hell was going on in tennis or what any of the rules or terminology meant, maybe it wouldn't have been so dull. But, I did. That does make me think of my, the, the, the cheesiest, but like, you know, they had to do it, of course, um, line in the movie, which of course is love means nothing. We're tennis players. We know that. <laughs> love means zero love means you lose <laughs> i actually thought it was a clever line but it is one of those lines you're like oh that's oh that's unfortunate yeah they had i mean they had to use it obviously yeah. but yeah so that, no that, i thought it was good i thought i this- would i would tell i would wager money it was that line that got that movie written <laughs> like i would wager money that somebody had that line and said i'm gonna build a movie around that well, overall, though, like the settings were good, and the like the interactions with the characters were good, and and the the developments of the characters were good. Um, I will disagree with you that his family is not supportive. Um, his brother is not supportive. His parents are though, like. They're camped out listening to it. His dad's the one who taught him how to play tennis in the first That's true. place. Good, good, call. good call. The reason they're not at the matches is because he thinks they're jinx. No, I see. I don't. I, I don't think that's really it. I think by, when we meet him at the beginning, he's kind of given up. No, he literally think, says, "I've never I, won a match at Wimbledon with you guys there, I, so you I can't think, come." But I think that's what he tells them. But I don't think that's the real reason. Because mm, but, but when we meet him at the beginning of the movie, he has basically given up on his dreams of winning and is basically going, you know, this is, I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase this. He's basically going to Wimbledon to fall on his sword. You know, he, he expects to get knocked out in the first round by some kid. Right. You know, and, he, and he doesn't want them there to see it. He, does, he doesn't want that humiliation to be, you know... I mean, I guess I, 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 so. I think the whole thing about them being a jinx. I think that's just that's what he tells them to make them mad enough not to come. He doesn't. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want them to watch him humiliate himself. Basically, I could see that. I will concede that. But I, I will say that they, the parents, are very supportive. Like they are super supportive. Well, but they, 
okay, so you, you're right, and I'll, I'll concede that. But that kind of would lend credence to my point. You have someone who supported you and loved you and has fostered your dreams, and you know you're going somewhere to lose. Uh, you probably don't want them there to. That's true. To see that, that's that's probably plus probably like they're like- having their own issues because the mom had an affair, which I think was interesting too. Because usually, you know, the women aren't the ones who have the affairs and in, in the marriages and in, in in these movies. Mm. Um, it's much more of a British idea, I think, because Bridget Jones's diary, the mom is the one who who has the affair too. So, and what, apparently, one of the writers of this wrote Bridget Jones' diary as well. I I'll be getting to wonder about that that writer's parents. <laughs> I think. Let's see. Uh, but it was it yes, was Adam, charming. Adam Brooks. I would agree with you, and like I think it it goes to say like you hardly ever bring up the title of this movie without using the word charming. And that's what it is. Yes. And I would agree with you. Like, yes, I think it is. It is a charming little movie. Like I would have no problem um, watching it again. You know, Um, I think it's got like some funny bits to it. It's got off the wall side characters, which is, you know, what you always want in a romantic comedy. And uh, yeah, I just, I do. I would agree. It is charming. Um, two two last things to bring up. Uh, okay. First of all, uh, John Favreau, who's in this, and he's being John Favreau, and it's awesome. Well, I think he's kind of John Favreau, if it was John Favreau on cocaine. Yeah, yeah, but he, it's still John Favreau. He's like just a little bit more slimy in this one than he usually is. I don't is. think he's slimy. I, don't, I didn't yeah, find him slimy Yeah, because he's sitting there with like one American flag and one British flag, and he's like he's, trying to get. And he didn't talk to his client for like three years. You know, like he's an yeah. agent. That's like I, mean, I know. Like I'm not saying that he's not slimy for a reason, but he's look, a little I'm slimy. Gonna quote, I'm going to quote the guy from, from Family Guy. He's a, it's John Favreau. He puts himself in his own movies, but you don't mind because he seems like the kind of guy who would help you move if you asked him to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, so yeah, it's John Favreau's this. Um, okay, the worst actors in this. Going back to the uh, to the the final match, the two announcers who are calling the matches. Yeah, clearly, because they're, they're actual tennis players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so clearly, they are they are real tennis announcers, and they were going for yeah. authenticity, but they cannot act. No. And they are saying these lines and not a lick of it sounds natural. But, you know, I love that, though. Like, when you have a sports movie and you have the actual sports people in it, you know? I do, too, but it is, it does lend me, uh, just quotes galore here today. You know, did the, you know, did the skydivers, did the actors do their own skydiving? No, the skydivers did their own acting. <laughs> Which, which does lend me the question. There's something I, I wonder. How much of the tennis did the actors actually play? How much of it did... I was kind of watching, you know, as the matches were going on. And basically, any time... You didn't see, like, a long shot. They cut away yeah. nearly every... So I would say, like, they were having to hit the ball. And they probably had to train and learn how to serve in a couple of things. But they didn't have to actually be accurate. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. 
because <laughs> I was kind of watching carefully for that, you know, like, hmm, I wonder if you're going to be able to see, yeah, but like, That's you clearly can see a stuff others. double. Yeah, yeah, and but I think the way they did it was pretty smart, like, when you were doing the stunt double stuff, you either just saw, like, the legs or, or something, you know, it wasn't, well, it like didn't really take you out. Well, the fact that I have to ask that question shows how, how good of a job they did. Exactly. You know, that, that that's why I was kind of wondering how much of it they actually did, because clearly through the editing and, you know, just the, the smart directing, it uh, they were able to, to make it seem seamless, you know, and, and tennis would be a harder sport than, like, you know, a football movie or a hockey movie where the actors are in pads and helmets and you can <laughs> kind of easily substitute yeah. one for another. You know, yeah, uh, which is yeah. why there's so many hockey and football movies. Oh, sorry, that was a big yawn. That's why there's so many hockey and football movies. Um, do you know the one part of the movie which I thought was completely unneeded and superfluous? What which part is that? The whole thing with the the women at the country club, like following him and watching him and and stuff. Yeah, like, that was weird. Like it wasn't necessary at all. Like it's yeah. a, it added nothing to it. Like I think, uh, I mean, I I think I knew what they were going for. It didn't quite, a, didn't quite. I get know, there, like but. there wasn't, in maybe there were more scenes that got cut. You know, possibly because like it was like just not enough. You know, yeah, it was like they, it was like the essence of an idea. Yeah, I think you know? they were trying to show how this was not where he wanted to end up teaching teaching tennis to a bunch of old ladies, but they seemed rather nice to him, and they, you know... Yeah, maybe flirty, but... No, they yeah. were flirty, but it wasn't, like, anything inappropriate. It wasn't, like, Blanche Devereaux was in there, and... Well, the one... You no. Know, yeah. They were, they were just saying he was a cute young man, and, you know, was, you know I'm... Nothing. Oh no, that I think that your your naivete and innocence and sweet guyness is a little a little showing there because I think that those ladies were definitely trying to get him to sh take him on as private clients, if you know what I mean. No, mm -hmm. I just got off the train from Hicksville. You'll have to explain. Mm -hmm. Sex. They would like him oh, to have sex with them. Oh golly, we we don't have none of that down on the farm <laughs> in Innocentville. An innocent bill. I mean. So, yeah. Yeah, I think this was a good pick, hun. Like, I, I enjoyed you. watching this. Thank you. Yeah, I was I was very happy when I was finally able to track it down and watch it and go, wow, this is actually very, very good and sweet movie. And I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly, I wholeheartedly endorse it. So once again, trying to get, get, get more eyes on this picture. Yes. So. <laughs> You're like, Wimbledon's biggest super fan. <laughs> I mean, you know, every, but every movie needs one. Yeah, every You're movie Wimbledon's needs. Wimbledon's hype man. <laughs> that's, that's that that is that has long been a theory. It's been it's it's the theory that you know that I have I have held for many a year, and it, it was the one of the founding principles of Drive Home Reviews is that every movie somewhere is someone's favorite movie. I could see that. Well, somebody somewhere that movie means a lot to them, and you know, the except people... for Queen Bees, nobody likes that movie. I mean, I don't know if they if they do like that movie, they're not real people. 
and we should really look into whether or not they're aliens from a you are you are really you are still the worst movie it's the worst movie (laughs) What what i find funny about this is i see bad movies all the time and there are movies that have hurt me in ways i can't quite fathom this is like the only one that you just seem to have a grudge against. You are mad at this. At that it's because movie. it should have been better. It should have been better. <laughs> like bad movies that couldn't help but be bad. That's one thing, you know. If you're just a bad actor, then I'm sorry that I, you know it's like having a disability. Like you can't help it. But these were good actresses. There was no reason for that movie to be as bad as it was. It doesn't make the pain go away. Mm-hmm. Anyways. But yes, yeah, so our, our next movie we're going to watch, though, is going to be one we both enjoy. Yes. Like a rewatch for us. Yes. So um, the original, it is the original, right? There's not a the one before that. I mean, there's the play. Right. But not... Um, the original fr- film version of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Not the Teenage Witch. No, God, no. No. Not, um, none of that. Certainly not the dark and gritty reboot. Oh, gosh, no. Which I, I actually have never seen, but just saying the dark and gritty reboot of Sabrina just, you know. I mean, can they just stop with the dark and gritty reboots? Did we really need the dark and gritty reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I don't know. Uh, talk to me after I see yet another dark and gritty reboot of Batman. I mean. Although, I gotta say, hon, Zoe Kravitz is in it, and I, I kind of like Zoe Kravitz, so. I like a lot of people. Doesn't mean their movie's good. I know. I mean, we'll see. I, I, I go in with an open mind. I'm just saying. You know, in yeah. terms of the dark and gritty, you know, there's still, there's still a market. Are you going to see that this weekend? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> this is the business section part of, of the Date Night podcast where we just forget that other people are listening and just talk about our uh, <laughs> our schedules. <laughs> should we go over our grocery shopping list? Yeah, the... did you go to the store? Did we... it's... Yeah. <laughs> yes, we should, we should let the people go. Thank you for listening. Uh, yes. To the, to the rambling at the beginning of the podcast, the end of the podcast. We hope somewhere in there there was a point uh, where you go watch Wimbledon. <laughs> go watch it, the movie, not the thing, unless that's your thing. I mean, if you want to watch the tennis, then fine, I guess. But... I mean, go ahead. Yeah. But the movie's better. <laughs> yep. 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 Okay. Anyway, so uh, thank you. We're okay. We're gonna try this out. You ready? We're gonna try this out. Yes, we, we have we have decided to try to create a a what would you call this a sign off outro an sign outro out. yeah. yes okay go ahead honey all right so here we go okay, ready? Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us here at date night and honey can I take yeah. you out again oh I'd love that sweetheart what do you, what do you think guys what do you, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> too cheesy I too don't cheesy? know just don't cheesy know. enough I don't know I really don't know. Oh, okay. Say it one more time. All right, honey, can I take mm-hmm. you out again? See, okay. Here, I don't know if you want me to pause or say something after you say "honey" because you pause, so then I react. Well, I, oh, well wow. Okay, sorry. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. One more time. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Uh -huh. my, my, my actors think I'm picky. All right, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Let's try it again. And honey, no pause. Will you go out with me again? Uh, I'd love to, sweetheart. I think if we do it like like we're 50s teenagers, I think it might work. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that might, I think that's what we need to do. If we're going to cheese it, we got to go all the way. Okay. okay so we're, no, 50s teenagers, here we go. Well, golly, would you like to go out with me again? <gasps> Gee whiz, I sure would love to. I think that might be it. I think that might, <laughs> I think that might be a thing. Uh, good night, everybody. Good night, and thank you.